You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com and available via podcast on DrLisa.org. Thank you for joining us. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Oh, there absolutely is some great news. When you think about 20 years ago and how much indoor air pollution we had due to cigarette smoke and the uh, wood stove smoke, and yet most of that is really done away with. Most often there's a belief that when they stand up there, they can be right or wrong, that, that there's, a, there's a right way or a wrong way to do this. And what I try to teach people is that if you're comfortable in your own skin, if you just be who you are, that it is really, really impactful. That like people will, will receive you really well and, and love you for it. You know, we don't think of, of kids having problems. We think of them as needing additional assets. And so we try to do that by getting caring adults outside the home to engage with them and great counselors and things like that that give them a really safe place to go and feel good about it. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the following sponsors. Maine Magazine, Tom Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard & Eaton, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Whole Foods Market, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, the University of New England, UNE, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial. Welcome to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. This week, our show is show number nine, which is airing on November 13th, 2011. Our show this week focuses on the theme of breath and breathing. The importance of breath cannot be overemphasized. It's something that I deal with regularly in my practice when my patients come in to see me, because all too often, People are not taking the time to breathe deeply and be reflective in their own lives. Breath is both physical and emotional. We'll start our discussion today with Dr. Dora Mills, who is the former head of the Maine Center for Disease Control and Prevention, who will talk about breath as it relates to our lungs and the importance of clean air. We'll go on and have a conversation with Seth Rigoletti, communication coach, who will speak about breath and authenticity. And we'll finish up with a conversation with representatives of Camp Ketcha, who are allowing children to go out into the wilderness and learn how to breathe. Thank you for joining us on today's Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, my co-host Genevieve Morgan and I sit down and do what we call the deep dish it's great to have you back here with me. Deep dishing, Jen. I always love the deep dish. Yes, we, we have fun with this. Um, and I have fun every week going in before I start this 
process of thinking about the deep dish, going over to Whole Foods. They're our sponsor for this program because we talk a lot about locally grown foods and the importance of eating locally. And again, this time of year, we're getting out of the place where there is so many locally grown foods. So it's getting a little colder, you know, not as many things growing. Yeah, I think the farmer's markets are only around for another week or so. Yeah, there's, yeah. They're, they're almost done. Um, but there's still stuff being sold that's local. So um, Whole Foods is still providing us with this great array of food. I was able to find some locally uh, pre- prepared apple cider, some some apples from Ricker Hill Farm. We've been eating these all fall. They do a great job for us. I also found these interesting sort of pale vegetables that... <laughs> they, they, they are. They look different and yet strangely alike. Yes, they are. They're interesting. And they're actually kind of... They, they actually have, each of them has their own different taste, and not everybody knows how to use them. Um, but I've done some playing with these because I used to get them as part of my farm share, so I've used them all before. Well, you're holding one that's palm-sized and sized and looks like an acorn almost. It does. It's um, This one happens to be a rutabaga. A rutabaga is related to the turnip family. These are root vegetables, um, like the parsnip, which is also a root vegetable. Which looks like a huge white carrot. It looks like a huge white carrot. And the nice thing about parsnips is that they're very tender and sweet. Both the rutabagas and actually turnips and parsnips, they can all be um, cut up into, you know, maybe half inch or inch sizes, you know, mixed in with a little olive oil, a little salt and pepper. You throw them on a baking pan. Maybe you want to throw in some other root vegetables, some potatoes, some beets, um, and you can have some nice roasted autumn vegetables. You put them in there, maybe, I don't know, 450 and just cook them till they're a little tender with a nice little crust around them. So these are all some, these are all interesting, I, this time of year is interesting. They, they, they come up with things that, they're not just your standard apples and carrots anymore. You got rutabagas, you got turnips, you got parsnips. This little guy, well, not even little. Look at this thing, Jen. Yeah, it looks like a planet. It does, or this. Or meteor. Or, yeah, or actually even like there's like something brain and alien yeah. looking. This is um, celery root or celeriac. And I had to spend quite a lot of time figuring out how to use this. And ultimately, I think last winter I went to a place called Bar Lola up on Monjoy Hill um, in Portland here. And they had this really lovely, finely matchstick cut salad um, made out of celeriacs or celery root. It was, it was quite tasty. But what traditionally celery root is used for is if you, you peel it all down and um, you can make it, you can cook it like potatoes and you can have pureed celery root instead of mashed potatoes or pureed potatoes and it is really quite tasty and you can use it in soup that way and too right? you can also use it in soup so the interesting thing about this is that um it's it's kind of a little bit of work to play with it but it's still kind of fun and you can bring your kids in and you can say hey look at this weird looking food and yet it's still growing locally and it's still good for you lots of good fiber well, I'm also interested, too, we, we talk a lot about um, diet, but one of the things we're talking about is breathing. And I know that that's really important. As, a, as a, If eating is basic, breathing is probably more basic. So how are we, you know, if we're, if we're adding these vegetables into our diet and then we're thinking about slowing down and breathing more, like you said, um, what are the benefits of that? Well, I'm glad that you asked that question. We've talked in prior shows about sort of the mindfulness around that's, that's required and when one actually cooks. So mindfulness and breathing are very much tied in. And um, 
there are many studies that show that mindfulness and meditation and yoga and breath are all very good for our health and well-being. I know that as part of the Core Balance Diet, the book that you wrote with Marcel Pick, who was one of our guests in the past, that actually talked about something called heart math. Um, yes, I, I actually, we did reference heart math in the book, but we also, Marcel in her practice uses heart math, um, and it's a fairly well-known form of, um, oh, there are many, many different techniques to it, but it's sort of a mind-body relaxation technique. And particularly, they they put forth the idea that um, paying attention to deep breathing, particularly when you're walking, can uh, make your heart rhythm more coherent, which is better for your health and fitness. Um, and by coherence, I mean that the the spikes going up and down, if you look at an EKG, that the spikes on the up and down will be less spiky. There'll be more, less peaks and valleys and more calm. And that supposedly helps the whole machine not wear out as fast, which is sort of what we're talking about when we're talking about aging and health. We're, we talk about it with how we can support the machine, feed it the right fuel, and then we talk about how we can make it last, which is maintain it well. And I think that heart math uses breath as part of that. And we've known about this, uh, and I've used heart math in my practice, and, and people have done biofeedback before. They, they, this is a sort of a related thing. Um, we've known about this as part of what's called the relaxation response, and Dr. Herbert Benson out of Harvard actually did a lot of work with this several decades ago, and he's done a lot of work with meditation. Also, the Center for Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts, um, and John Kabat-Zinn, he wrote a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are, um, we know that that taking the time to breathe and be mindful kind of gets you in sync with yourself. I mean, this is actually a tradition that's been well known in Eastern thought. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh is a very famous um, spiritual leader who wrote a book called Peace is Every Step, in which he talks about breathing and walking and actually smiling. So breath and wellness, they're all tied in. They're all tied into sort of lung health and well-being. Well, and you talk a lot about mindful eating. So how does that play in? When you, I know we were saying that you have to be mindful when you're cooking, but when you actually sit down to eat, what are some tips? Well, it's interesting because I'm always talking about, I always talk about sort of what's ideal and then what's real. I mean, I have three children of my own and I have, I work and I have a busy medical practice and do a lot of different things. So I'm just as busy as your average individual. And at the same time, uh, as a doctor, I know how important it is to sit down and be mindful while you're eating. So some of the things that I try to do, I try not, I try to, once I prepared my food, not sit down and eat it in front of a television. And actually, I don't really watch television that much. That's not that hard. But um, try to actually sit down as opposed to standing at the counter. Yep, not over the sink. Not Try not to eat over the sink, yes. Try to actually taste the food. I mean, that's one of the benefits when you actually cook your own food is you kind of want to taste it because there's no point. You know, if you just pick up a box of cheese, it doesn't really matter what it tastes like. But if you take the time to actually, you know, match stick up some solariac you're gonna want to taste it you know it's a kind of a lot of work so actually tasting and smelling and enjoying um when i can and this is not all the time because my children are just as busy as i am i like to actually sit down with them and maybe have a hopefully not stressful conversation (laughs) and actually ask them you know how was your day and really try to connect and this is one of the things that families um can do on a regular basis, if at all possible, is to sit down and do th- and be together mindfully as a group. Well, I think that's a great point, Lisa. And I think that if you, you aren't having time to breathe, 
you're probably not having time for some of these moments that you're talking about. So in a larger sense, it seems that what you're really talking about is just slowing down a little bit. I, yeah, I think that the just slowing down piece is important. And we used to, when we sat down, talk about, um, remember we used to do this traditional grace. We would sit down with our families and would be sort of, thank you for the food or, you know. Yeah, we made space. We made, we made space. And we thought about where the food came from. And we were grateful that we actually had food in front of us. And that's happening less and less in our lives. And I think if we do make the space for gratitude and understanding the work that went into the food that was prepared and the fact that we have food at all, I think that everybody in the family benefits from that. Beautifully said. Well, Jen, it's been great talking with you on this broad variety of topics related to breath and breathing and food and locally grown food and mindfulness and We'll talk to you again about this next week. I look forward to it. Thanks, Lisa. This segment has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market of Portland, Maine, and by the University of New England, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. This week we begin a segment which is sponsored by the University of New England, a very innovative school just down the street from us here in Portland, Maine. Our segment is called Wellness Innovations, and we will be discussing events and things that are happening in the research and wellness world that we think will be of relevance and use to our listeners. Because this week is the week of the Great American Smokeout, we thought that this was an appropriate place to begin. We will be talking to Dr. Dora Mills coming up soon about smoking and lung cancer. And on November 17th, 2011, right before Thanksgiving, people have a chance to actually stop smoking. We encourage people to take advantage of this Great American Smokeout. There are many resources available to them on www.cancer.org. And we also encourage people to go to their own physicians and find help when they need to. Take the time to bring the importance of breath back to your body in a very physical way and stop smoking. And we're sitting here today with Dr. Dora Ann Mills and Genevieve Morgan, our co-host, as we come in every week and start with our main guest. We're pretty thrilled to have Dr. Mills in studio. She's been doing great things for the state of Maine for the last 15 years, and now she's doing even more great things in a slightly different capacity. So I'm just going to, I'm going to let people know who are listening a little bit about your background. You were recently named the Vice President for Clinical Affairs at the University of New England, and prior to that, you were the Director of the Maine CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, um, under Governors Angus King and John Baldacci. We know that you've done a lot with public health, including reducing Maine's rate of tobacco use, teen pregnancy and childhood obesity, and you've established numerous statewide partnerships with hospitals, agencies, and schools, including Healthy Maine Partnerships, which provide public health programs on a local level. You received your medical degree from the University of Vermont College of Medicine, which is my alma mater, so hooray, (laughs) and your Master of Public Health from Harvard University. You're quite an esteemed individual, Dr. Mills. (laughs) I don't know about that, but thank you very much for the introduction. Um, And this month is American Lung Cancer Awareness Month, I believe, and we have the Great American Mm -hmm. Smokeout coming up on November 17th. 
And this is one of the reasons we thought it would be such a great idea to have you in to talk to us, because as the director of the Maine Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, you know a lot about this. Well, unfortunately, I I do know a fair amount about lung cancer um, in terms of the statistics, and it's it's pretty grim. You know, I actually think if you think for a minute, if you ask most women um, which cancer do more women die from than any other cancer, most of them are going to answer breast cancer. Right, and yet the tragedy is that it's not. It's actually lung cancer. Real tragic diagnosis. I mean, occasionally people can live longer, um, but most people who are diagnosed with lung cancer very tragically actually ended up end up dying from it. And it is tragic. My grandfather actually died of lung cancer, and it it came on. It seemed fairly suddenly, and it wasn't, not that anybody wants to have a cancer, but if you're going to have a cancer, this is a hard one to die from. I mean, it really impacts you in a very negative way, and then most people don't do well, and they die fairly quickly. So it's it's a hard thing to watch. And especially when you think about, about 90% of all lung cancers are preventable. Mm. Um, That's what I wanted to ask. How Do you have the statistics of, of what percentage of lung cancer is directly associated with smoking? And what is what is the statistic for secondhand smoke? Yeah, it's about eighty-five to ninety percent of lung cancers are due to tobacco. Um, there's a little bit of a, uh, a leeway there because there is also a percentage of lung cancer that's secondary to radon exposure, which you know we have a lot of radon in Maine. Um, right. Radon, Tell us why we have a lot of radon in Maine. Well, radon is a gas that's emitted primarily from, is found in granite. And of course, you don't have to go too far in Maine to realize that Maine is on one big bed of granite. So we do end up having a lot of radon, especially in parts of Maine, like western Maine, where you see a lot more granite than in other parts of Maine. Um, and so when you combine but radon itself can cause lung cancer or is associated with it. But radon coupled with tobacco smoke ends up increasing your chances of, of lung cancer by quite a lot. So there is this overlap where, you know, you can't say that all lung cancer is just only caused by tobacco, but there is a certain percentage that's associated with tobacco, but also associated with radon. And then some is just radon alone. But if you add radon to the formula, then you're up usually over about 90%, over 90% of lung cancers due to either one. And of course, radon is preventable in that if you test your house for it, which is required in Maine at this time of a sale, um, but you could do it any other time as well, then you detect it. And then there are ways to ventilate it, you know, to get rid of it so that you're not exposed to it. And there are a few other things that people can do if they know that there are radon. There's radon in their house as well. Like when they have their showers going, they're supposed to, you're supposed to leave your door open a crack. You know, you're not supposed to sit in the steam, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's kind of more around ventilation. But if you, you want to test your water and your air mm-hmm. for it to see if you have it, because very often you don't, but if you do, it is something that you can mitigate. So you have, so we've talked about smoking, and I, I pulled up a few statistics. So smoking is responsible for 21% of deaths worldwide in high-income countries. So that's mm. interesting. Um, and 52% of preventable deaths are from lung cancer. So that's pretty astounding, isn't so, it? So, yeah, and th- so the smoking is, that's big. The radon we've talked about. What other things contribute to problems with lungs and lung cancer specifically? Well, and of course, the, uh, secondhand smoke, you mentioned a few minutes ago, and that absolutely is as well. We know that um, about uh, if, if for every about every seven deaths due to um, smoking, uh, one of them is due to secondhand smoke. Now that is re- is reducing as we speak because of course our 
indoor air is getting clearer and clearer of secondhand smoke. Um, but still, we know that a number of people with um, who do smoke, who are addicted to tobacco, do smoke in their homes. And that's why one of the efforts over the years by a lot of people in public health has been to at least, you know, if you can't quit, at least smoke outside and getting our indoor public places smoke-free, such as restaurants and all other workplaces. And we've been very successful um, in those endeavors here in Maine, very fortunately. Um, But, of course, in other states, not so successfully. And and if somebody's smoking at home, then their other family members and household members are exposed to the carcinogens that are in in, uh, cancer-causing chemicals and secondhand smoke. And a lot of people don't realize is that the secondhand smoke actually has higher concentrations of cancer-causing chemicals than the primarily inhaled smoke. And the reason is is because cigarettes have a filter. So some of those cancer-causing chemicals are actually filtered out when you're inhaling a cigarette. So that's so ironic that they're filtering it out so the person who's smoking doesn't get the stuff, but everybody around them does. Yeah, and you still get tremendous doses of it if you're smoking cigarettes yourself. But it's just, it is kind of ironic, as you say, that the people around you may actually get a higher level of it. Um, than than you yourself if you're smoking and children this is a big secondhand smoke problem for them it's not and it's not just it, I mean we think we're talking about lung we've been talking about lung cancer because of um, lung cancer awareness month but asthma and allergies and and lung problems in children has been on the rise in Maine as well oh absolutely and the secondhand smoke has is really deleterious to children's lungs. You know, you think about just even what lung tissue looks like or what, you know, you can imagine what it looks like if you haven't seen it. It's, you know, it's a very, uh, lung tissue in anybody is this, um, it's a very sensitive tissue. It's not like your skin that's kind of thick and, um, you know, a lot of things can bounce off from it. Lung tissue is very porous. It's like a very delicate sponge. And when you're young, when you're a child, it's even more so. And very, it's very susceptible to the effects of pollutants, when you, especially when you're a baby or a child. So you can imagine if you throw cigarette smoke on top of that very delicate kind of sponge-like tissue in, when you're a child, it has a very deleterious effects. And what we see, as you mentioned, Dr. Lisa, is the fact that these children do have very high rates of asthma or more severe asthma than they would have otherwise, as well as um, ear infections, lung, pneumonia, i.e. lung infections, um, and many other infections and diseases that you wouldn't think they would necessarily have, like ear infections. But it turns out that it, the cigarettes um, thicken up all their secretions. So when they get a cold, then their secretions are kind of thick. They don't clear them as well, and then they're more likely to get things like ear infections, which happen when you have kind of sometimes when you have thick secretions kind of building up in your ear, and then the bacteria take hold. And that's an interesting point. I've had a number of patients, thank goodness, over the years who have quit smoking. And what I've noticed in my practice is that patients, they'll quit smoking, and then their lungs actually get worse for a time. It's almost as if there's some sort of purging that needs to take place. And you're talking about secretions. That's what reminded me of that, that, you know, patients, they'll come in, they're like, Dr. Lisa, you told me I should quit smoking, but I feel so much worse. And I'm like, you know what? You just got to hang in there because your body's trying to get rid of something that it's been dealing with for a really long time. So it's this thick hacking, disgusting something that eventually does go away. So people who are going to quit smoking on November 17th, which is the Great American Smokeout, or another day, just stick at it, stay with it. You know, your lungs are going to get better. I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit more, Dr. Lisa. 
and Dr. Mills. Uh, it, I have a couple of friends who are still smoking, and they have tried and tried and tried to quit. And they've, it's just such an addiction. It's very difficult. Can you both speak to that? Because you've treated it through Chinese medicine, and you've had mm. there are other policies and programs that you have. So it's an interesting two-way yeah. approach. Well, I think the main thing I would say is don't quit quitting. So it, the average successful quitter has tried quitting seven times before they're successful. Doesn't mean a lot of them aren't successful on the first try or the second try or the tenth try. But don't quit quitting. Just because it doesn't work for you once, don't quit quitting. And there are medications that are very effective, and there are also some ways to, uh, to increase your chances. I would recommend people calling the main tobacco quit line, which has free consultation by phone. It's anonymous. Uh, you can also get vouchers for free or low-cost medications, um, including prescription medications. And they'll stay in touch with you and kind of help you through that. You know, I can't say it's easy. I mean, we know some of the neuroscience data shows that nicotine is as addictive to the brain as heroin. So, you know, I'm just... I, I, I kind of got protected because I have asthma. So when I was a kid, I just never even, a young adult, I never even thought about picking up a cigarette because I couldn't even, I couldn't inhale secondhand smoke. So how could I inhale primary inhaled smoke? Um, so it just, you know, I feel very fortunate, but I know that I have a lot of, um, you know, friends and acquaintances over the years who did pick up a cigarette and got very highly, it's, you know, very highly addictive and they didn't want to keep smoking, but it was very tough. But many of them have successfully quit as well. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Akari Salon, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook or go to akaribeauty.com to learn more about their new boutique and Medispa. And by Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. So, um, okay, we've been talking about smoking, we've been talking about radon, lung cancer, a little bit about asthma. Let's talk about some of the other air quality issues, maybe. We have, what about outdoor air quality and indoor air quality in Maine? What, what can you say about that? Well, you know, unfortunately, Maine does have both um, issues, major indoor and outdoor quality issues. You know, outdoor air quality issues, um, we have, you wouldn't think so. You look around our landscape, and it's so beautiful and picturesque and, and pristine. And yet, we have major air pollution issues and the outdoor air pollution issues. And one of the main reasons is that we are kind of on the tailpipe of the country. When you look at the, you know, picture a map of the United States, and you look at that those arrows of the jet stream, they, it generally comes across the United States, across the Midwest, and then it makes this left-hand turn going up north, up right across the Northeast. And there are a fair amount of pollutants that get carried along, get picked up by the jet stream. And then as the jet stream hits the cold air of the northeast, i.e. Maine. Right. We are pretty cold <laughs> we up here. We are pretty cold up here. Especially the end of November. Then those pollutants actually precipitate out. 
and and cause more air pollution here than you would see, say, in you know even Connecticut or in in, in southern parts of the um, south and, and Midwest. And in particular, when you look at the pollutants from the coal mining states, uh, not coal mining states, but the coal, um, the fact that the states in the Midwest that have a lot of coal producing plants or use coal as a as a fuel, and they emit a lot of um, pollutants that then get carried here. And that's also one reason why, you know, we have, of course, with the, when you combine high heat in the summertime, uh, we end up having, of course, a lot of high ozone days, more than you would think, you know, being in Maine. Can you talk about that? What does that, what does a high ozone day mean for people? Well, what it what these high pollutants mean in our outdoor air is that we do have high asthma rates. We know Maine has the, um, the highest asthma rates in the country, and it's probably for a number of reasons. But one of the main reasons is because we have uh, high levels of air pollution, and so we end up having a um, very high proportion of people in Maine. About one in six adults in Maine have asthma, for instance. And that's about the same with our children. Asthma is one of the few chronic diseases that actually is higher in children, higher rates in children than in adults. And so it's a chronic disease that we see in adults and children. The um, So we have very high rates of asthma. And for people who are asthmatic, the air pollution, the outdoor air pollution makes their asthma much worse. So if you had asthma and you lived in a, cl- a state with cleaner air, you would be less severely affected by it than so, the fact that you live. So we would do well to have as clean an indoor air quality and outdoor air air quality as possible, whether it's from smoking or otherwise. The show is about breathing and so far I'm, it's it's <laughs> I feel a little overwhelmed because of all this sort of bad news but I know there's good news so you're going to tell us a little bit about the positive health trends that are going on in the state of oh, Maine there absolutely is a great news when you think about 20 years ago and how much indoor air pollution we had due to cigarette smoke and the uh, wood stove smoke and yet most of that is really done away with now in terms of are all indoor public places in Maine are smoke-free, restaurants, even bars, and many in any workplace is smoke-free. And then, um, you know, and those wood stoves are mostly, most of them have been replaced um, in the last 23 years. So we've got great news, and we're seeing the effects of it. You know, our lung cancer rates are actually starting to stabilize and even come down. So it's, it's great news. And people are generally much more aware that if they are addicted and they're unable to quit right now, then at least to keep it away from other people. And you do see that people are generally very cognizant of taking it outside or being careful. And we even have people, and we haven't talked about this that much as far as cars and car exhaust, but we now have no idling zones in front of schools and yes. in front of public buildings. And so when it's cold, people are less likely to sort of sit in their car and just keep it running indefinitely. Absolutely. So there that's are good, good things happening. Absolutely. We're much more aware of these things, and that's good. And it's making us all shift gears kind of and change our behavior a bit, and it's making all of us healthier. Speaking of good, you are doing really good things over at the University of New England. I was over there visiting you the other day, and you were telling me all these amazing things that are happening for a small university. You're a powerhouse over there. Oh, you know, it's a really exciting place to be. University of New England is our largest educator of health providers in Maine. That is, if you ask health professionals in Maine where they got their education, more of them got their education at UNE or University of New England than any other university. So it's an exciting place to be. It's a um, a university where the undergraduate campus and the uh, medical school is located in Biddeford, Maine, on a 
spectacular oceanfront campus. Yeah, it's beautiful. I can't believe it's a college campus. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And then in Portland, on Stevens Avenue, on the old Westbrook College campus, is is also a beautiful campus where the most of the other graduate schools of health professions reside. Brand new um, pharmacy school that's absolutely stunning there that's right on Stevens Avenue. Opened up uh, two and a half years ago. And we're um, just completing the dental school, which opens up in 21 months or so in in 2013. We have a nursing school, nurse anesthetist school, uh, physician assistant school, social master's of social worker school, master's of public health um, program, and a dental hygiene school. Now, I'm going to miss one, but um, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and that's just in the medical school. That's or within the health sciences. That's in the graduate schools for health professions located yeah. in Portland. So we have eleven. Uh, we'll be soon when the dental school opens up. Eleven degrees, graduate degrees in health professions, and uh, ten of those located in Portland on Stevens Avenue on this beautiful campus. And then um, the other with the medical school and the undergraduate schools, and then other graduate schools and in, in sciences like neuroscience are located in Biddeford. So it's a vibrant place to be. I'm very excited. And if you've got know of any kids who are thinking about college or you yourself thinking about graduate school, look us up at uh, UNE um, on, on the web. And it's a, it's a great place to be, very innovative university. Well, and we'll also provide a link to the University of New England because I've I've been there, I visited there. It's uh, it's an amazing place. I've, we've actually done some work with them, so I'm 100% behind what you're doing Great. now. Well, thank you very much. And I should mention, a lot of our courses too are offered online as well. So that's another thing to consider that you can be anywhere in Maine and or anywhere else and have and obtain a Master's of Public Health. Now we have a, an accredited Master's of Public Health program that you can um, obtain entirely online. That's great. Yeah, this is this is exciting stuff. So I I I know we had to talk about the breathing and the smoking and the air and all of this. That is something we still need to think about. We don't want to scare people, but it is out there. So we needed to talk about all of that. But Lisa, it's also when's the smokeout date? Just Great again? American Smokeout is November seventeenth. So we'll make sure okay. people are that aware of that. Thursday before Thanksgiving. Yes. Thursday before Thanksgiving. Yeah, so okay, all you smokers out there, November seventeenth. So smoke your turkey, not your lungs. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So there are things that you can do about air quality. There are things you can do about health education and. Dr. Mills, you've been working on all of these things for a number of years. And As you have, too. So thank you for coming in. We thank appreciate so the time you spent with us. And it's we will to be here. Uh, we'll look forward to all the wonderful things you're going to do at the University of New England. Thanks. Thank you. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we feature a segment we call Maine Magazine Minutes, which is hosted by our all-the-time co-host, Genevieve Morgan. Thank you, Lisa. Today we're joined in the studio by Seth Rigoletti who is a leadership and communications coach at Valico Group. And as part of Valico Group, he works with politicians, engineers, scientists, executives, and authors to teach them how to have a greater presence, communicate in a clear fashion, and deliver a more impactful message. The focus of his work is on genuineness, resonance, and helping clients to be more persuasive in their communication, which actually has a lot to do with our topic today, which is breath. So I want to welcome Seth Rigoletti to the studio. Hi, Thank Seth. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. We have a lot of people come into the studio, obviously, and some are really nervous and some are not. And it seems to me that that is a common problem for anyone involved in public speaking. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're trying to address. So there's a lot of things that are happening for me whenever I'm speaking in front of a group of people. Uh, and in this particular case, it's, you know, there's all this stuff around. So I'm trying to one of my goals is is one of the things that I try to work with people about is really staying present 
with with the people that you're talking to. You know, if it's a room of 500 people or if it's a room of three people, um, the problems are still the same, which is if I get too much in my head, if I start thinking too much about uh, w- what I want to say or, or, or how am I being perceived or um, what did I just say, then what happens is, and I notice this in my own body and in other people's body as well, is um, I'll stop breathing. I'll, I'll hold my breath. And you can hear this in people's voices. Um, it's not that they, it's not that they don't project or they don't, you can't hear them. Some people have wonderful, beautiful, deep voices, but they're still not breathing. Well, there, there's a tightness, a constriction, right? Right. right. So uh, an example, and I don't really know how well this will play out on radio, but an example would be if I were holding my breath and I was talking, my voice would kind of rise up a little bit and my voice would start to speed up and um, some of my pronunciations would get a little, sl- a little slurred and I would start to say things like this, where these question marks are at the end of my voice. I and, think I can recognize that. And, um, <laughs> and, that, and, and that is a... Uh, uh, that's really like a, um, a tightness in my diaphragm. But if I, if I sink that down and I go down deeper and I just breathe through my voice, what, what happens is um, my vocals become more resonant. So rather than just, just sound coming through my mouth, there's actually more of a vibration that comes through me. And for a bigger audience, you know, even though you're mic'd, it, it does actually have an effect on how people receive you and how they hear you. And you can train people to do this through your, your work? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the funny part about all this work is that there is, there is training to it. And I, I want to be specific that the work that I do is not to necessarily, it's, it's not maestro work. I'm not trying to help people um, become master technicians. I'm trying to help people become more themselves. So we're, our bodies are designed to be resonant. We're designed for, for voice. I mean, we, there's, there's this thing on Kristen Linkletter, who is a, um, she's a teacher at Columbia university and she designed this whole type of, of vocal work called the natural voice, the Linkletter work, um, which she applies to Shakespeare and, and acting and, and it's really about the idea that if we if we brought ourselves back to a more natural place with our breath, if we relaxed our vocal cords, if we didn't feel like we had to control um, our voice, that it would be beautiful and, and, and resonant, and and we would be able to be clearly communicating not just the words that we want to say, but all the range of emotions that we want. What, what I what I focus on with people is to understand, help them understand what interferes with their breath. So there's there's this part about you know exercises that help you open up and help you practice how to breathe and how to um, be more resonant. And there's all these things that we can do to make that happen. But the number one thing is uh, what hijacks you. You know what what is it that brings you out of the moment. And that can be very individual. So your work is client by client, I imagine. You don't have a set set plan yeah. for every person. You, you know, it, it is individual, absolutely. It is client by client, but it's also very much a um, the universal things that happen. So 
for example, there are some people who are terrified of public speaking, some people who, who when they get up to the idea of speaking in front of a group of people, whether it be you know, just a few handful of people or, or, or as I said, 500 people, um, they, they're terrified. And for those people, it's really about identifying what it is that they're terrified of. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsor. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, maker of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. Well, so for those listeners out there that might be facing a big presentation at work this week or my personal favorite, a toast at a wedding (laughs) or a family gathering, um, regular public speaking that you might not think of as public speaking but can still be terrifying in its own way. Do you have any general tips or ideas for how to do what you're saying, you know, be yourself? So one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they think the content is the presentation. You know, we, 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 think, we think that we're, we've got this content that I have to give you. And, and you see this with PowerPoint all the time, that, that people just load all their content on their PowerPoints and, and, and they really just kind of read through them and, and click through them. And, and it's, it's, de- it's just death. I mean, it it's, can be 35 minutes of absolute hell for people in that meeting. Um, so there's this, Dr. Morabian did this study back in 1950 something. And, and who's that? He's Dr. A, um, he, he did, he started doing some studies about, um, uh, what is it, wh- what is likability? Wh- what is this? Uh, I think he was a psychologist and he, um, he started doing, he did this study, which was like basically what, wh- what makes us like somebody. And, and this is a often quoted um, statistic because he he made this discovery and then everybody, people like me were like, oh, this is great, this is great news for us. But basically, what it came down to is that people only pay attention to, or only like other people. Um, uh, how do I put this? That only seven percent of the reason why they like other people is because of the content of what they say. So, uh, hey, I like your dress is not the the content of I like your dress is not the likability piece. Uh, 55% of it is nonverbal. So 55% of it is how you physically said that, how you physically were when you were saying that. And I think 38% of it is oral. So it's, it's how I hear you say that. And f- for actors, this is obvious. I mean, if uh, actors know that you, know, you can have the same line uh, you can have the same line and you can say it 10 different ways and mean 10 different things. Right. So it's not the message, it's the messenger. Right. And in, 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 so in acting, they would call it the intention. Yes. You know, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you trying to accomplish in this moment? And so coming back to the, the presentation piece, what I tell people is uh, you have to know what effect you want to have on your audience. And the effect needs to be something... Uh, you want to think about it like, like I try to say to people, what do you want people to leave with? Because um, if all you have is I want them to leave with the content, then I say do them all a favor, print out the content, give it to them, and, and tell them the meeting's over. <laughs> you know, because they'll leave with the content. Right. And they won't necessarily digest read it. it on their own time. Well, they may may or may not, right. but but they'll thank you for not you know holding them hostage for for half an hour. <laughs> but the 
but if, let's say um, in my presentation, I want you, I want my this team to take a leap of faith, and we're going to increase our budget. We're going to go a little extra mile, and I want I'm asking them to uh, to work a little harder to make you know even though we're increasing our budget, work a little harder to give more effort towards this goal. Um, and it's going to be a short-term goal, but and it's going to be a lot of work in a short-term period of time. In order to make that that convey, in order to have that effect on them, I have to uh, share something. I have to share uh, something transcendent with them. Like, uh, I really believe that this will change the way that we do business. I really believe that this will make our our business better or make our company better or make our lives better in some way. And I have to be clear about why I believe that and what it is about me, you know, that, that is excited about this opportunity. Why do I want to work harder? Well, and I, I, that's what I hear overall about Valico is that it's not only is it about coaching people in public speaking, but it's actually about coaching people to understand who they really are so that when they stand up in front of a, a bunch of people, it can be genuine. Let's bring it back to, to breath, though. How does how does breath connect with all of this? Because I know it's important. Right. So so there's a, and I heard this in a yoga class one day, and, I, and it really resonated with me, which is that you, you know, breath can only happen in the present. That's, and when, and when you think about that, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty helpful. As long as I'm in my head, I'm not in my heart. And if I'm not in my heart, then I'm not being present for everybody here. And what breath does, it's a mechanical process. And if I breathe, and I tell people, politicians, business people, whatever, I say, breathe through your mouth. Just, and just that act, just that act of doing that, brings, I don't mean it'll be all mystical, but brings the energy down into your midsection. And then once you've done that, it's really hard to stay up in your head. Now, you can go back to your head, right? but the breath makes it so, you know, reminds you, oh, right, I have to be present. Those very simple maneuvers are the very basic things that you teach. If there are people out there listening today who want to get in touch with you in terms of more individual or, comp- or, or um, sophisticated techniques, how do how do they get in contact with you? Well, um, I have a website. That's and what's the address? www.valicogroup.com. And Valico is spelled V-A-L-I-C-O. Um, Valico is a an Italian word that means the crossing points between mountain peaks. So it's it's all about connecting. You know, it's all about connecting who you are to what it is that you want to who you want to connect to and what you want to say. Seth, thanks so much for coming in today. It's been really interesting and I have learned so much already and thank thanks you. for thanks for coming in, Seth. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Jen. Seth Rigoletti is one example of people doing inspiring work in our community. At Maine Magazine, we like to turn the lens on these individuals and give you the opportunity to learn more about them. So please visit us online at themainmag.com or pick up an issue at your local newsstand or bookstore.
Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we read from the book Our Daily Tread. Our Daily Tread was written in honor of our late friend, Hanley Denning, and all proceeds go to benefit her organization, Safe Passage. Learn more about Our Daily Tread on islandportpress.com or visit safepassage.org. This week's quote is from Howard Cutler. Once that we conclude that the basic nature of humanity is compassionate rather than aggressive, our relation to the world around us changes immediately. Seeing others as basically compassionate instead of hostile and selfish helps us relax, trust, live at ease. It makes us happier. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible by the support of the following generous sponsors. Thomas Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepherd and Eaton, an Ameriprise Platinum Financial Services practice in Yarmouth, Maine. Dreams can come true when you take the time to invest in yourself. Learn more at AmeriprizeAdvisors.com and by Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we feature a segment we call Give Back in recognition of the fact that health and wellness go beyond the individual and the family and reach out into the community. This week on our Give Back segment, we have two people joining us. We always like having more than one on the other side of the microphone because just kind of brings the energy up. We have Tom Doherty, who's the executive director, and Heather Petrolik, a board member for Camp Ketcha. And we're talking about breath or breathe and breathing. So it's an appropriate day to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Camp Ketcha is a year-round nonprofit organization serving the Southern Maine community with programs in youth development, family enrichment, and summer day camping. Their 107 acres of meadows, forests, streams, and wetlands are essential to their mission, which is to get youth, children, and families outdoors to appreciate what nature has to offer. We're especially excited to have both Tom and Heather here today because their annual fall fundraiser, the fifth annual, the Martini Madness and Auction, is coming up on Saturday, November 19th. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Dr. Lisa. This is a wonderful opportunity to talk about this event and what Camp Ketcha is. I, I'm fascinated by this because um, I thought Camp Ketcha was a camp. You know, I love day camps. I love camps in general. But I, when you and I were talking, um, and I know Genevieve is pretty interested in this as well, you're doing things like a Montessori preschool. You have nature-based after-school care. Where did the Camp Ketcha campus come from? Did somebody, was this land that was purchased? Did somebody? It was purchased back in 1964 to use as a day camp for children. Um, and actually, Ketcha is a Native American word for little camp. Um, the organization had a larger camp up in Litchfield, um, but this camp was a small one. It was meant for, for younger kids. And so we serve kids from 3 to 14 uh, with, with primarily day camping programs. Um, and we do a lot of the, the character building kind of outdoor activities. Things are done in small groups. Children learn to work together. Um, they, uh, they learn about how to develop friendships. And we do a lot around um, developing um, these essential assets, these 40 developmental assets that kids need to thrive. So they, you know, we don't think of, of kids having problems. We think of them as needing additional assets. And so we try to do that by 
getting caring adults outside the home to engage with them and great counselors and things like that that give them a really safe place to go and feel good about it. So, Heather, I'm wondering as a board member, because I'm on a board of a local youth group as well, um, and we are always struggling with fundraising, mm -hmm. how you as a board came up with Martini Madness. What an exciting idea. It's really exciting. It's a lot of fun, too, and it's a nice way to bring those into camp who can see it in a different way than we, than most people think of it. Um, it was introduced about five years ago by was it Jennifer mm -hmm. that started it. Mm -hmm. um, Jen Van Dyne uh, is still currently a board member, and this is sort of her baby. And um, martinis are a fun fun way to get people excited about auction items and about dancing and there aren't a lot of places in Maine that you can get all dressed up and you know go out and have a good time and it's just for a really good cause as well. A lot of our parents come and so it's it's an exciting event for them because they're um, you know young parents of, of kids in their eight nine ten year old range and it's a great night for them to get out and just cut loose a little bit without the kids I mean obviously with martinis there there's no children but uh, <laughs> um, but it's a it, it's a way for us to say thank you to them give them a great night out and for them to say thank you to camp so do you have any transportation available for people we don't but we encourage folks to to set up some some good designated drivers drivers and stuff and we check that a lot obviously the last thing we'd ever want to have is a is a problem with that so um, we we love our parents and our kids and uh, that that would be a tough situation so it's it's true that your camp is not very far away from Portland it's not very far away from really route 1 or i95 no. having been out there myself so it is a bit of an oasis it is it's a wonderful place i mean uh, from my office you can hear the surf on a on a nice day but i mean i also can just ride my bike down from my house in portland so it's a pretty easy ride so I know I will also be at your annual, fifth annual fall fundraiser, the Martini Madness and Auction, which is going to take place Saturday, November 19th from 7 to 11 p.m. I, I don't know how much martinis or madness I'm going to get into, <laughs> but I'm excited to be there and support you. I thank you so much for coming in, and Genevieve and I are happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. For more information on Camp Ketcha or the Martini Madness and Auction, go to campketcha.org, which we will link to off of the drlisa.org website. As part of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast each week, we read from my Bountiful blog. The Bountiful blog is available at bountiful-blog.com. This week's post is called Just Breathe from July 27, 2011. And it references a time in my life that was full of transitions. Transitions that I know are not an uncommon thing to those of you out there who are listening. Starting where we are, though logical in its premise, can be an interesting challenge. Many of us, when we are in a state of transition, are hard-pressed to know exactly where that place of starting may be. This place is officially the liminal space, which is everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. Physically, emotionally, and psychologically, we may be truly all over the map. At that point, it helps to remember that within each of us exists a still, small voice available for our guidance. Liken it to a metaphysical GPS. And accessing our GPS is as easy as breathing, really. Our bodies are built to survive. As the medical school saying goes, blood goes round and round, air goes in and out. It's that simple. 
We are homeostatic organisms meant to be in balance. We are perfectly designed for life on this planet. When we forget this, it is good to return to body basics. Circulate blood. Breathe. The former doesn't require much. In healthy, intact humans, blood circulates no matter what. If we want to encourage this movement further, we can engage in what I call body play, also known as exercise. The latter, i.e. breathing, doesn't require much either, although sometimes we forget this. Most of us get so caught up in our doings that we fail to breathe deeply or enough. We hold our breath often without even realizing it. Perhaps we are waiting for the next bad thing to happen or anticipating something better than what we are currently experiencing. Breath holding takes us out of the present. It decreases our body's oxygen supply, making it harder to stay in balance. It also limits our access to that all-important, still small voice. There's nothing better than breathing to help us through a transitional time. There's nothing better than breathing, period. Just try going without it. To read this blog post and others like it, visit bountiful-blog.com. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we focused on the theme of breath and breathing. We spoke about the importance of breathing from a physical standpoint, but also from an emotional standpoint. We spoke with Dr. Dora Mills, former head of the Maine Center for Disease Control, about the importance of air quality inside our houses, outside our houses, and everything involved in what we bring into our lungs. We talked with Seth Rigoletti, communication coach, about the importance of breath when it comes to how we present ourselves to the world. And we also spoke with representatives from Camp Ketcha, who talked about the importance of breathing and taking the time to be mindful in our lives. We hope you've had a chance to breathe as you've listened to our Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast this week. And more importantly, we hope that you will be reminded to take, a, take the time to breathe regularly in your lives. Make a space for it. It's a lot easier than you think. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for listening this week, and thank you for being part of our world. We hope you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the following sponsors. Maine Magazine, Tom Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard and Eaton, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Whole Foods Market, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, the University of New England, UNE, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us online at drlisa.org. Tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m. or streaming wlobradio.com. Podcasts are available at drlisa.org. <laughs>